COVID-19 is currently reshaping our conceptions of the modern world. By the end of 2020, our world could be radically different. Behind this new normal, there is a battle being raged between the forces of democracy and the forces of corporate power. Matt Stoller is the author of Goliath, the 100-year war between monopoly power and democracy, and joins me on this edition of Handheld Travel. We discuss how these battles have taken place throughout American history, how a congressman from rural Texas changed the American economy, whether or not we are truly living in unprecedented times, and how to make the topic of monopoly interesting to a large audience. You can subscribe to Matt's newsletter and keep up with all his interviews and videos at mattstoller.substack.com. What led you to write this book, uh, Goliath? Yeah, so I'm the research director at an organization called the American Economic Liberties Project. And what we try to do is uh, recenter progressive politics around political economy, so corporate power. And I spent six years working in Congress in both the House and the Senate on bailouts, on financial policy, trade policy, and competition policy. And over that time, what I realized is that what I had been taught about history, which is that banks and corporations are these neutral institutions, and that economists are kind of scientists who make technocratic decisions about how we organize our society, that that was a, that was a false history, that there was a, a, that's a bad way of understanding the world. And that, in fact, as, as I saw, uh, and as I think we all saw with, with the bailouts the last time we had a crisis, how we organize our corporations and our banks and our businesses are political decisions. And there's a whole history there about the fights, particularly in America, that we had around market power and banking and corporate power. And there really, I hadn't seen a history written about that that focused from like from the progressive side of the aisle. And I'm a Democrat and a, and a kind of on the left, but I'm interested in business and commerce. And so the book Goliath, the hundred year war between monopoly power and democracy centers on that battle, which, which is a, a fundamental tension in America about who rules. Is it a small group of people, whether you call them aristocrats or whether you call them monopolists, financiers, you know, depending on the, era, is it a small group of people or do you have a more democratic society where you have the ability to have open markets where, where people have the ability to start small businesses, to sell their goods and products and labor and crops and ideas to one another and have a government that protects them against concentrations of power, domestic or abroad. Those have always been the two sides in America, in American history, or uh, uh, not the only, but a core axis of conflict. My book focuses on a congressman named Wright Patman, who was in Congress from 1929 to 1976. It goes, it, it starts before that era and goes, extends up until the financial crisis. But he was a farmer and a populist, uh, and he was from Texas, rural Texas, and he fought against special interests, banks, high interest rates, and monopolists. And so tracing his battles over his life and how he, first he, they ended up 
he and his faction ended up defeating the robber barons that were organizing American culture and politics, and then ended up uh, losing to them and uh, getting overthrown. And then what happened afterwards, that sort of tells the story of American politics in the 20th century. Because, you know, when we're living in this era of Trump, everybody kind of goes on to think that we're, it says that we're living in an unprecedented time, unprecedented corporate power. But that's not really the case. Yeah, so that's right. And Trump is, I mean, it, it, there's a sort of it's interesting, he's an interesting character, but he really scrambles. He, I think he more, more than anything kind of confuses people uh, because we've been, we've been set since the 1970s. And this is really why Patman lost and was taken down. Particularly on the left, there was this, we, we transformed our conception of who we are politically from consumer or from citizen to consumer. So we used to think about the politics of production, how you buy things and make things and sell them to one another. And then in, in the 1970s, we really started thinking only about the politics of consumption. And when you only think of yourself as a consumer, then how business is organized, how production is organized doesn't matter. You can offshore industries, you can consolidate industries, you can have chain stores or not, and it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is low prices for goods and, and regulation on those goods that you're getting. And when you stop seeing production and you stop seeing corporate power, the world becomes, the politics becomes very confusing. And so what happened in the 1970s as Democrats and then Republicans as well started to see themselves mostly as consumers and sort of said, let the scientists handle the economy, a.k.a. the bankers and the economists, things started getting more and more and more chaotic. And the voters, I think, started getting more and more frustrated going back and forth to different, what a, what a friend of mine called swamp things. And I think Trump is sort of the latest reflection of a basic dissatisfaction with politics. But the reason that people are dissatisfied with politics is because politics has been shrunk to a very narrow, uh, to a very narrow space, where production, the political economy, corporations, banks, are just not really part of our politics. And if you think about the the institutions that really matter to you and your community, it's it's the corporations. It's the way that you trade with your fellow citizen. It's who you work for. It's who you buy your electricity from. It's who you it's who you buy your food from. It's who you sell your products to, your labor to. And if, if politics doesn't touch any of that, then you're going to become increasingly frustrated. You might be free in the political sense in terms of questions of speech or social questions, but, but you will have less and less agency over the, the, the things that actually really matter, uh, which, and not say that other stuff doesn't matter too, but, but you'll have, you will have less and less control over how your family is structured and how your community is structured and how the economy is structured. I think a lot of kids grew up, um, they thought, oh, Monopoly is just a one store. They do all the business, and that's the only place you can buy something. But that's not exactly a complete view of Monopoly. You know, For example, like I'm free not to buy something from Amazon, but but if I'm a bookseller, then I kind of have to think about Amazon no matter what I do. So that's, that's a form of Monopoly too, isn't it? Yeah, so what is a Monopoly? A Monopoly is a unified control of a recognized branch of trade or service. And so, yeah, it and it... And it operates on it can, it can be a buying monopoly or a selling monopoly or a distribution monopoly so a lot of people think oh well if there's if you you know if they they can raise prices on you and that's the way that you can tell that there's a monopoly because you know you have no alternatives to buy from but 
you know, so people might say, oh, well, I can go to another retailer other than Amazon. Therefore, Amazon is not a monopoly. But that's only looking at it from the consumer side. They do have a lot of power in consumer markets. But if you actually sell something, right, it's actually almost impossible to avoid Amazon, at least in the United States. And that's because, you know, most uh, producers who sell into the retail market, especially with things like books, but other other goods, too, you know, they have to go they have to go through through Amazon, either it's warehouses or it's website or it's, it's marketplace. So so you might think, oh, Amazon, as a consumer, I can avoid it. But you also have to think about the other side, which is the, the producer side of the market, too. And that's that's the way that a lot of our monopolies today in the U.S. are set up which is that they don't necessarily look like monopolies to consumers because the, but the, they're, they're using their market power on the other side, which is on the producer side. So they're buying monopolies more than they are selling monopolies. With this whole thing right now with COVID-19, like where, where do we kind of stand now? Because it kind of appears to me that we're in a situation where uh, small businesses are getting squeezed and we might just see further consolidation of marketplaces, like international finance is going to rule even further now. Would that, would that be, are my fears relevant in this situation or, do you, or is that not the case? I think that, I think that's right. You know, you have um, tremendous consolidation going on right now because small businesses, you know, they have, they have just less capacity to borrow money. They have, they just don't have as much margin for safety. And so they're going, you know, they're going out of business and also they don't, you know, they're, they become dependent on um, that on much like if you're a retailer, now you're dependent on selling through Amazon or you're just shut down, but it's not just them. It's like, if you're a restaurant, you know, now all of a sudden you're, de- you're dependent on like delivery apps. Right. So, so there's a, a lot of independent stores and businesses are, are now, you know, dependent on, on this critical infrastructure of, and, the, and often these are the infrastructure they're dependent on are, are run by unregulated monopolies. So some of them are just going out of business and then some of them are, are, becoming more and more dependent uh, on the, on these, on these corporations. And that's a huge issue. I would say one other thing that this pandemic is showing is that there's a geopolitical element to monopoly as well. I mean, you're in Australia and one of the things that's happened in the last 25 years, and it's for the same philosophical reasons, China has acquired tremendous power because it is sort of the manufacturing powerhouse of the world. And, and that's, that's, monopoly power in a lot of ways so they have they're the basically the sole source of active pharmaceutical ingredients for the pharmaceutical supply chain pretty much everywhere in the world but also a whole bunch of other products are basically only sourced in china and in a pandemic that becomes that that becomes really obvious and really dangerous so it isn't just that you have monopolies that are that are within domestic countries that are that can squeeze people and control people you can also have monopolies that have a geopolitical lens if you locate productive capacity in one country or another. I know you recently described the bailout in America as a, a coup, so that doesn't sound very promising. So maybe you could explain to the average person like what is wrong with this most recent bailout and what kind of changes could we start advocating for in this new world? Well, I mean, we, we, we've essentially entered this weird moment, which is a, a planned economy. And... There are different ways of planning your economy, but essentially what what happened with the pandemic is that large swaths of every major economy just shut down, like restaurant sector, 
on the knowledge of service sectors, travel sector, you know, just shut down, right? And what that means is, you know, that caused a big political shock. And now all of a sudden, you know, large numbers of people that are dependent on these sectors for income, and then also all the financial assets that are valuable because they, they are, um, uh, they represent those income flows, you know, like cruise, cruise lines and whatnot. All of a sudden that stuff only has value and those people only have income if just politically we determine that they're going to get income and that we're going to, we're going to support those financial assets. And we did that right in different countries, did it in different ways. Some countries said, we're going to make sure that you don't get unemployed. So the government will take over the payroll temporarily. In the U.S., we didn't do that. We just handed out a bunch of unemployment insurance, and then we had the Fed support the stock market. Um, but this is all, these are all just raw political choices at this point. There's no, un, there's, a, there's not really underlying economic activity that is supporting what the rep, like that's supporting the, what the stock market means. Like people are getting income, large numbers of people are now getting income, even though they're not working. So, so these are all these are all just political choices, and but we haven't we haven't um, we haven't yet like that can't go on forever, right? You can't just say this asset has value even though it's not producing income, and these people are going to get income even though they're not working. You ultimately, when you're running an economy, you have to actually make things and produce things and distribute those things. That's why. A financial system works. That's why capitalism actually delivers. If people are just getting income and financial assets are valuable just because purely we determine that we're going to make those, we're just going to make the money flow that way, then you end up having a breakdown of the underlying productive processes. And it's kind of slowly what's happening now. I mean, I know it's hard to make predictions, but what do you foresee like a way out for maybe the states or the, or the global economy to go from this sort of like suddenly planned economy back to like a functioning one like you said earlier we have community banks we have community this community is there a path you think we're going to go towards that path or well it's, it's going, going to depend on the on well obviously it's going to depend on what what happens with the virus whether we whether we find treatment and and or vaccines or something like that how how quickly that happens and then it's also going to depend on the political choices and the social infrastructure of each individual co country, and then the, the way that those countries decide to relate to each other via trade. So those are all, each of those things are independent variables, and each of them is, a, you basically have to guess. But, um, so if I, if I had to guess, I mean, I think the real question, like ultimately you can't, you know, you can't just keep 40 million people or, you know, 50 million people on, on income support forever. Like they don't want that. The society doesn't want that. And ultimately you, 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 your, your living standards erode if that's what you do. And you also can't, you know, keep a cruise line at a, a $10 billion valuation if there are no customers. Ultimately you have to move financial assets around and you have to hire people who are unemployed to do different things than they were doing before. And that's what finance is good at doing if it's working in a healthy way. We'll say, oh, we're going to shut down that industry and move people over to this other industry because we don't need a cruise industry, just this up, but we don't need a cruise industry, but we do need actually 
more capacity to make pharmaceutical ingredients and steel because we're now going to move that productive processes back from China. So we're going to have we're going to have move these financial assets around and. That's what financial markets are good at doing. That's what a capitalist economy is good at doing. Right now, we're stopping all of that um, just so people can retain what they have. So we're going to have to find a transition where we do actually let, you know, where we do actually penalize people for holding assets that are not really worth anything anymore. And we're going to have to find ways of, of employing this large group of unemployed people at things that we actually need to do. And that's just, those are like political choices that we're going to have to make about what we want to do. I mean, I think in Australia, it's a, you know, Australia is in a pretty serious, pretty serious tension with China, which is one of its key trading partners. And I think the U S is as well. And we're going to have to make determinations about that. So, you know, all of that is going to, those political choices are going to determine what our economy looks like after the pandemic is kind of, not over, but after there's a new normal. This topic, monopolies and corporate power, that's a very, very dry sort of topic on the surface. But uh, just as a writer in your writing style, how did I find your book very, you know, quite readable and quite relatable? I think it makes very complex information and makes it, you know, everybody can understand that. How, how did you do that? How was the writing process to take such a dry topic and make it you know, readable? Like, did you, did something that just happened, or did you have a, a sort of a, you know, you, did you want to tell it through the story of Patman and it's a great question. Writing the book, the hardest part is making something fun to read because you can write a memo and, you know, we're, we're trained to write memos and then, you know, someone else's job to read the memo to get the information, but to tell a story that has, that contains ideas, you know, that, that's the craft of writing and that takes a long time and you have to figure out, you know, what, what's the idea you want to convey and then how do you convey that? in a story with a narrative arc with a character. It just, it just takes a lot of time and effort and, you know, you have to take ideas and sort of explain them simply and distill them. But the thing about corporate power and money is that it's, it's so interesting. I mean, corporations and markets, you know, that's all the money and power in the world. And somehow, and I think this is why the monopolists and bankers sort of dominate I think they were able to convince people that that stuff was all very boring and dry and hard to understand and not, and not interesting. But it's like, that's crazy. This stuff is super interesting. It's so fun to learn about like why these, some people are incredibly powerful and wealthy and how they make steel and all the, the weaponry that they built and the, the battles over power. Like it's no different than any other, you know, soap opera. It's just that this has to do with really meaningful political choices that we've been making, and uh, and and they tell us it's boring because they don't want us to pay attention to it. But if you look at all the a lot of the great soap operas, a lot of the great you know narratives, like there's a there's a show called Empire, which is about like you know a business fights hip hop, but it's business fights. You know that's a show about business, right? Dallas was a show about you know wealth and oil and like. You know, a lot of people argue about sports, right? And they argue about, say, you know, football or, or basketball or, or, you know, soccer, baseball, whatever. And they argue about which players are better. They, they um, you know, argue about salaries. Those are all commercial questions, right? People are arguing about business all the time. We're just told it's boring. So it's like w the goal here is to, is to show people that this is our birthright 
that we don't have to be afraid of talking about the politics of commerce and uh, and that this is what this is often what what matters in our lives in our communities you know, i've came across you've been on tons of podcasts lately have you been on joe rogan yet have you been on joe rogan or i have not been on joe rogan not yet not yet but you've been all over the place and so how does it feel to to kind of you know take on these topics and then you, you write a book and i guess you know it's it's done really well and it's it's kind of at a really good cultural moment for it but also with the backdrop of the pandemic it was my first book so i don't really have a frame of reference I, uh, I really, weirdly, I really enjoyed the writing process. I mean, it was hard. Writing is hard. Doing work is hard. Just <laughs> in general. But I didn't really love the book release. I found that very stressful. But the writing the book, you know, really playing with the ideas, you know, was a, was a, was a, was a very cool experience. Really learning the material was a cool experience and learning how to tell the story. So I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, getting the book out there, I think, you know, it's been, it's been fun. It's a weird political moment, right? I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're, you know, it's not like the good guys are winning right now. There's a, it's very strange. Um, There isn't a, people I think are, I mean, I wrote this to give citizens and policymakers and business people confidence that they, that they have a moral argument for what for running business in an ethical manner and for writing policy to make sure that business is done in a democratic and ethical manner and, you know, profitable too. But that's why I wrote the book. And I think a lot of people were inspired by it. I certainly was inspired by the primary sources that I was reading and I hope to bring that. I think I did, but it's also a very strange dynamic because you don't see, you don't yet see, I think any society with the, confidence to govern itself according to those norms yet i think we're still building to that so that's it's a there's a it's a sort of part of an overall project that's not complete but it's kind of like part way there and i guess i'll leave it at that i really do appreciate your time but where can people find you where can they find your work or your book um i know you run a, a newsletter yeah so i read a newsletter called big which is uh you can get you can subscribe to it at uh, and actually go to mattstoller.com, M-A-T-T-S-T-O-L-L-E-R. And I have information about my book, my newsletter, and I'm also on Twitter uh, and Matthew Stoller, uh, at Matthew Stoller. So that's the easiest way to find me. I come out with twice a week. It's a newsletter on the politics of Monopoly. Handheld Travel is written, produced, and edited by me, Lawrence Hamilton. Thanks for listening. They are planning just what to do since that bonus done's on through. Now where's that man you used to rave about? Time now to see what he's made out. You better not let him slip through your hand. Cause some other woman surely take your man Come on girl, 